Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Today, we are talking again about pain, but in the context of government guidelines, I suppose, or or rather clinical guidelines, following the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence latest changes, I suppose, which I think came out April 2021. So it feels like since pain and personal injury tend to go hand in hand, sadly, for for a lot of our clients, it felt like it's probably a good idea to kind of unpick a little bit about what the NICE guidelines are saying and what of that is relevant to our practice in the personal injury world, um, and particularly to treating therapists and, of course, case managers. Um, So we have today Dr. Devdeep Ahuja from RTW Plus talking to us. So welcome, Dev. Thanks, Shabdan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, not at all. I know you are... um, pain is your thing, um, <laughs> which not everyone can say. <laughs> so tell me, why is pain your thing? Tell us a little bit about Dev and your journey to being an expert in pain in the case management world. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so when I qualified as a physio many moons ago. I'd prefer not to maybe even say when, but... I, I, <laughs> Uh, and then I, I worked in uh, physiotherapy, clinical physiotherapy for a while and uh, did my MSc and PhD and such and such in physiotherapy. Uh, but then I transitioned to case management in about 2011. And as you know, with case management, it's about making sure we are providing the interventions, we are supporting the client and getting them to their optimum recovery levels and return to work, get them back into work and their functional uh, rehab as much as possible. So what we found was over the years, a lot of patients would go through that journey. So they would have their initial injury, they go to see the GP, and then they are referred for physiotherapy. And I'm talking about complex orthopedic injuries kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd, they'd go to the GP, then they have some physio. Uh, they still continue to experience pain, so we'd send them to the orthopedic consultant who would then offer rec- recommend more MRI scans and x-rays and whatever not. And sometimes they have injections, sometimes they have surgery, then more physio and acupuncture and psychology sometimes. And it feels like that endless cycle, it just carried on and on and on. And at some point, a few months or sometimes a few years down the line, we would say, oh, let's send them to a pain program. And all this while, the person's been suffering with pain. Their pain has always been there with them. Yes, it might be low at some point, it, so some things are helping, and but then it comes back. Sometimes it comes back worse than before. I just wanted to understand how can we help these clients better? What can we do for these people that are suffering this pain? They're having the pain. And because uh, we work in a contentious, litigious environment as well, it's like sometimes they're not believed. Sometimes it's like, oh, they're, they might be malingering. They might be just doing it for their claim. Uh, so how, how can we help these people better? And that sort of started my journey into trying to understand chronic pain a lot more, trying to understand what can we do for these people? What is the optimum intervention? Do we want to go with the high-end sort of spinal cord stimulation and the residential uh, pain management programs? Or are there other things that can be done to support these people and make that pain uh, 
programs more accessible. One of the challenges that I, I think uh, uh, we had was that pain program funding is not, not easily accessible, right? So mm. even our insurance companies would sort of shy away from funding a full-blown uh, pain management program. And, and that, that's been the challenge. And that, what we wanted to do was try and create program, try and develop something that is more accessible, that is more in the home. The person can do it to, to themselves. Again, it's all about how can we make them active participants in what we do. And as, anyways, this journey has been a long 10 years in trying to understand why people continue to experience pain, uh, even though their original injury might have healed. And what can they do to support themselves and develop the self-management skills themselves rather than uh, depending on manipulation, go back, have a fix, get your spine cracked, again, come back every two weeks and carry on for the rest of their lives. I mean, I know uh, I've mm. had some patients who've had osteopathy <laughs> uh, sessions. Uh, one of my clients uh, uh, who came to me, he had 120 osteopathy sessions. I was like, I was just gobsmacked. I was like, how is that possible? But that's the oh. kind of thing that we want to, <laughs> uh, we want to reduce the dependence on external people and make them more reliant. So we want to improve the internal locus of control that I can control my pain and I can be better myself with the tools and the self-management skills that I need. Wow. You have said so much that I want to pick up on. The first thing that really strikes me about what you've said is that there's not even a question in your mind that pain is not real for those people who come through your door saying, I am in pain. And I think that feels very refreshing for me because I think, um, and I don't work in pain services and I'm very psychologically minded. So I naturally are going to have a view that, that the medical model it, you know, has its significant limitations. But it, it, it really feels like um, what you're saying is that it's, there's a massive role for the mind in all of this because, and I think you said it earlier when we spoke, it's not just about, or it's not only about the, um, the structural aspect of pain and that there is a sort of mindset about it that clients need to um, take on as well as professionals. Yes, definitely. And I, and I think this is a really exciting time for anyone who's working in chronic pain at the moment. So IASP uh, defi redefined or they amended their definition of pain last year as well. Though it doesn't go all the way, but I think it, it's a significant improvement on where it was before that. So for 40 years, we've had one definition. And now the new definition says it's an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience. So we have the sensory part, which is your structural part, and then the mm. emotional part, which is the psychological part that you mentioned. But they mm. also say it is associated with or resembling that associated with. So it might not actually be associated. It might just be resembling what is associated with actual or potential tissue damage. So you don't necessarily need to have actual tissue damage. It might just be potential tissue damage. And I think that's, that's the big thing. It's, mm. uh, I mean, I, I, I spoke to uh, Dr. Tasha Stanton um, in 2020. We had a, a virtual pain summit and she spoke at that. And she said, uh, one of the things that's really stuck with me from what she said was that any incoming input into our body, it goes extensive filtering, integrating modulation before it enters our awareness. 
and mm. create our own individualized perception of pain based on all of that modulation that goes on. So pain is not just about the physical stimulus that we are getting. Pain is about how we perceive that physical stimulus that we are getting. If or or a potential stimulus actually, it might does not need to even be a physical stimulus at all. Yeah, so right. Completely, completely agree that. Uh, uh, there's a huge emotional and psychological component in any pain that we are experiencing. Uh, and therefore, one of the things that we always tell our patients is all pain is real. Mm. Uh, that's, the, that's the big thing. All pain is real. Uh, yeah. Yes, you might think about malingering and this and that and the other. But that perception of pain that, that a person is experiencing is subjective and you can't measure it. No one can measure that. No. It's that idea that pain is real. I've literally written that down on my piece of paper in front of me and circled it because I feel like that is so powerful. Is that um, an idea or ideology that has been adopted sufficiently, would you say, in the personal injury wider world, in that contentious world that we're working in litigation? Because it is, you know, the work we do is so evidence-based. Everything we do as case managers, as therapists, we always have to explain, this is where we're going. This is what we've done, and this is how far we are in achieving those goals. Um, this is why it's perhaps not working. There's always the concept of evidence embedded in what we do. If pain is real but doesn't always have a structural component, how does that sit within litigation, would you say? Yes, uh, and that sort of stems from our understanding of pain. I mean, for 400 years, we've been following the Cartesian model of pain. So in 1664, <laughs> uh, Descartes created that model, and it was a, a very simplistic model. It worked at that time. It sort of gave us a basic understanding of pain, how pain might work. And it was like, it's just a simple signaling system. You suffer mm. an injury. The nerves in the periphery, they send a message to the brain and the brain then responds with the intensity which is equal to the nature of the injury. So mm. what they're saying is that injury is directly proportional to the level of pain that you experience. The greater the level of injury, the greater the level of pain. But now we know that that's not the case. So now we might have, uh, if you look at it, we might have a lot of pathology but no or very little pain. So a, a, an example is if you took an MRI scan, my MRI scan, for example, yeah, you'd probably see there's lots of disc degeneration. And actually in MRI scans of over 50, so anyone who's over 50, 60% of them will have significant degenerative changes. 60% mm. of those people over 50 will have significant degenerative changes. But they don't have any symptoms. They just carry on with their lives as normal. They go to work, they play sports, they have an active life. They don't need pain and intervention, right? And then on the other hand, there is uh, that group where there's very little pathology, but there's very high level of pain. So if you think mm. about it, someone suffered a fracture, yeah? And that fracture's healed in six weeks, 12 weeks time, depending on where the fracture is. 12 weeks time is usually when a fracture would heal. So the bones have healed, everything's united. But six months down the line or 12 months down the line, that person still continues to experience pain, right? They're still having a lot mm. of pain. Yes. How does that work? How does that work indeed? And obviously as a psychologist, I would say trauma, threat, danger, <laughs> hypervigilance, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. um, 
and and the I guess the idea, and we've um, we've got another episode actually with um, some uh, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary colleagues um, who have talked about pain from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know the the sort of neuroscience behind it all is 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 really interesting. But it's it, it is really it does feel like it's like the the. I think you said um, it's a really exciting time for those working in pain. I, I really feel that I'm not a pain, like I said before, I'm not a pain specialist by any stretch. In fact, positively, um, I'm one of those people who who struggles, who can struggle to sit with, you know, that concept of chronic pain because it makes me feel actually in pain in some ways. I don't mean as in a, you know, like it's an uncomfortable thing to do, um, and I know you know my limitations in that sense and. There's, there's so much more hope in the message that you've shared today than perhaps there has been in the past with this very simplistic model of injury equals pain, therefore evidence of injury equals, you know, a certain amount of pain. And that's the end of Can it. Can I give you a couple of a couple other examples that really Do. simplify this? So take the example of a, a World War II veteran who just went for a routine chest X-ray 30, 40, 50 years down the line. And that chest x-ray revealed a bullet that had been lodged in his neck for 60 years, right? 50 years, whatever years, yeah? And he never knew that. He never knew that he had a bullet that hit him. He didn't experience that pain because of that adrenaline rush in the war. He didn't even worry about that. He just carried on what he was doing. And then you, on the other hand, you get a paper cut and we experience such high levels of pain. Yes, that's, yeah. What, what that highlights is uh, pain is more about the threat that is perceived by our body, by our brain, more than the actual pain itself or the actual injury itself. Yes. It's not about the injury, it's about the threat that is perceived by our And the brain. awareness of something that's happened. Because as you say, paper per se is not a threat as such, but you are cut. Yeah. You notice it. It does hurt. I mean, let's face it, it's some of the most painful injuries I've ever sustained is a paper <laughs> cut. But I can, you know, I can see, and you know, you know, when I see an injury, I suddenly feel the pain. If I didn't know the injury was there, I wouldn't notice yeah. the pain, you know, uh, which is exactly the point you're trying to make. How does this all translate then in terms of the current NICE guidelines? Um, I know that's um, well, you tell me, but I think it's much more on on the idea of chronic pain. So the idea of which I think the the nice guideline is, I think it's very difficult to know what the prevalence of chronic pain is. And I think they particularly talk about chronic primary pain, and and I think that's estimated to be at like I don't know six up to six percent of the population, which doesn't sound like a lot on the one hand. One in twenty, maybe that is quite a lot actually. Um, but obviously, in the personal injury world, it'll be higher than that. So it's going to, I wonder how that, what that looks like then. What do we as case managers or do we as case managers need to um, think about what the NICE guidelines are saying in context of what you're also saying? Yeah, so NICE guidelines have been, um, sort of they were proposed earlier last year and then they've had a consultation period and we've had all sorts of responses to it um, in terms of the consultation. So what they cover is the assessment of pain and then they cover the management of chronic pain. So in terms of assessment, it's all straightforward. So they focus on, uh, we should have a person-centered assessment. So we're focusing on the bespoke individual qualities or the experiences of that individual person. 
active involvement of the patient, looking at the wider impact on life. One of the key things that they talk about is the language to be used and that we should always be very sensitive to the risk of invalidating the person's experience of chronic pain. And I think that's so important. That is so important. I mean, as case managers, in each encounter that we have with the patient, Mm. uh, we have the ability to add to their safety cues. We have the ability to add to their danger cues. Right. Mm. We go and see a client. He's had an MRI scan done. And without even really assessing them, we we just say, well, you got a back of an 80-year-old or if... Uh, this is the worst scan I've ever seen. And consultants do say that kind of thing. And yes, it might be really bad. It might be looking, but are we adding to their safety cues or are we Mm. adding to their danger cues? How do we talk to them? Yeah, most of the medical model is quite scary. Like the language is quite scary in it, I think. The the other thing that uh, um, nice guidance highlights, and I like that, is uh, that chronic primary pain can coexist with chronic secondary pain. So what is primary pain is where no identifiable, there's no underlying identifiable physical condition versus chronic secondary pain is where you have, um, it is secondary to something else. So for example, cancer or any other conditions that might lead mm-hmm. to chronic pain. So right. what they're saying is that pain, the primary pain can coexist with, and my experience of it is that generally chronic secondary pain then might lead to chronic primary pain as well in the sense that once the original injury is healed and there's no underlying cause left and you still continue to experience that pain uh, so whilst that fracture might have healed and everything's gone and but they still continue to experience uh, pain the second part of the NICE guidance is around uh, management, and they, this is where it gets really interesting. Some of the aspects that they talk about in terms of managing chronic pain and the recommendations that they have made in terms of exercise and physical activity, that's perfect. That's so important. We know that it works. Mm-hmm. We know that um, it needs to be done. And then they have recommended ACT or CBT. ACT is the Acceptance Commitment Therapy or CBT, which is the cognitive behavioral therapy. And for a long time, they've been the gold standard of treatment uh, in terms of thought reframing and making sure that we are addressing the mindset component. They've also recommended acupuncture, which is uh, quite interesting. Oh, um, that's very alternative and very... Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I wasn't I mean, expecting you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, acupuncture is interesting because uh, I mean it, it is now an accepted form of treatment. So they're in oh. a lot of physios have trained in Western medical acupuncture. So they're not using the traditional Chinese acupuncture, but they're using the Western medical acupuncture, which is a modified approach, and it works in slightly different. The, the basic underlying concepts have been slightly sort of amended to focus more on the Western philosophies rather than on the uh, traditional sort of and how it flows mm-hmm. and all of those. Anyway, I'm not an expert on acupuncture, so I won't go there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, another another podcast tip off, yeah. I feel, another episode. <laughs> Thank you for that. Where the management part of NICE guidance gets really interesting is that they have, in terms of the pharmacological recommendations, and they've said that uh, antidepressants, yes, they can be given um, and they can be given to address the lifestyle impact, to address the sleep and quality of life and those kind of things. Antidepressants can be given. But they have said 
do not initiate any of the pain medication to manage chronic primary pain in people age 16 or, four or over. And they have included the whole host of uh, drugs in that. Which, really? Which vary from a simple paracetamol. So they say don't even start paracetamol or opioids or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or local anesthetics or corticosteroid trigger point injections. All of these, they have said no. Benzodiazepines, no. Antipsychotic drugs, no. Anti-epileptic drugs, no. Gabapentinoids, no. All of these are no. So this is where... Radical. uh, I agree with the rationale that uh, painkillers don't necessarily kill the pain. I, I get that. But I guess if I go to my GP and I say, I've got a lot of pain today, I'm struggling with my pain. And my GP says, oh, I'm going to refer you to the physio because that's what a nice guideline is saying that we're going to refer you to physio. In the meantime, you go and just be active, go and do and give some advice and guidance. As long as they have the time, they might give you some advice and guidance. But if the physio appointment is not for until 12 weeks or six weeks or whatever the local waiting times might be, is that person just expected to struggle in that period? I think that's what my issue with these guidelines is. But I, I, I can understand the premise. And actually, one of my clients recently, he got, got a call from his GP saying, oh, you've been on this, uh, I think it was uh, codeine or, yeah, I think it was codeine, uh, that you've been on this codeine for a long time and I don't think it's good for you. And I, that was only after the publication of this guidance that they have given him a call and they've told him that you're going to stop taking it. And he's stopped taking it, to be fair. He stopped taking it. And he said that, yes, I have a little bit more pain than I uh, did previously. The medicine took the edge of my pain, but I still do have some pain. But actually, what I'm not experiencing now is all the side effects that I had. My sleep yeah. is, I'm sleeping much better. I'm feeling much better in myself. I'm not spaced out all the time. I used to be spaced out all the time. Mm. So the positive impact of reducing the medication is certainly there. I think the key thing is only have we got all the other ancillary services or the recommendations. So if the recommendations around exercise and physical activity or CBT or acupuncture, do we have those facilities? Do we have the services yes. available to take away? If we're going to take away the medication, are we, do we have the resources to provide the uh, recommendations that NICE has made? Interesting. And I would say it probably based on NHS services, certainly. No, um, we probably don't. But, you know, the medical legal world is it's a funny old world, isn't it? It's a different, you know, we are, in that sense, our clients, particularly if they have access to an interim payment or a settlement award, they may well be in a very different position. They may well be able to say, right, okay, nice guidelines say, don't go to, pay, to pain medication in the first instance, go elsewhere, here are some suggestions. Um, And certainly I know from some of the other episodes that we've done that the multidisciplinary approach of, uh, say, trust um, pain management service and uh, retraining pain, for example, they are hot on that stuff. And they would be a service that our clients, particularly, like I say, who have the funds available, will be able to access. And that feels like it's nice, nice guidelines, consistent then. 
Yes, definitely. I, I think from a personal injury point of view, it is uh, it is really beneficial that we have these clear guidance now which says, okay, these are the three recommended things and pharmacologically, this is not what is recommended. I think the challenge mm. sort of comes from the understanding of pain. And again, it's mm. about thinking, um, we have always followed that structural model of pain. So everyone wants to go through that route. Everyone wants to have an MRI scan or an CT scan or x-rays to rule out X, Y, and Z before they will start to think of other things. And they will want to get the physio done and then they'll want to get the injections done and they'll want to go to see the orthopedic consultant. All of these things take time. And I I think that is where it is so important that what you're doing is raising awareness of the understanding of pain. That is so Mm -hmm. important if we can get the claims handlers and the solicitors to understand that pain and pain management can start right at the outset. It is about the understanding of the pain. It is about ensuring that we are not enhancing that perception of pain through all the things that we do in terms of, oh, don't move your back, right? So what that person does is then they will just walk with that braced back forever. And no one told him, oh, you can now start moving it. And and I think it's it's uh, it's about trying to bring this understanding of pain right to the early intervention stage. That is so important. But you're mm-hmm. right. You're right that uh, if the funding is available, then this is the right way to go. Exercise and physical activity, getting the CBT um, and understanding of pain and, and and behavior change. That is the right approach mm-hmm. towards uh, uh, managing pain. Yeah, and the acupuncture, which I'm totally yes. feeling. Yes. That's amazing. That's excellent. Okay. What can we as case managers, personal injury professionals do in like today? If we're thinking, gosh, I have a client, you've just described a client in the sense of, you know, I get, you know, their pain is, their their pain, they're talking about their pain, they're dosed up on medication. Um, I'm sure there's more that we can do because they are really groggy. It's really hard to engage with them, but I'm also very aware that if the pain isn't managed, it becomes a barrier to everything else that we want to do rehab-wise. How, 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 what would you say that you're maybe, I don't know, your top three ideas that that case manager or case managers who come across clients where pain is a major aspect of the um, support required, what three tips would they, would you recommend to them? I think it is so important. First of all, I think just acknowledging that pain is real, all pain is real, and that in every clinical encounter, as I said earlier, in every clinical encounter, we can uh, and we can add to their safety cues and we can add to their danger cues, and therefore we need to be really careful about the language that we use with our patients, with with our clients, to not aggravate that perception of pain. So that's the first thing I think that's really Mm. important is trying to understand not using catastrophizing language. If we are using catastrophizing language, the patient is going to be catastrophizing. So I think that's so very important. I hate the term catastrophizing, but Mm. (laughs) that's that's what is in use at the moment. So we'll carry on with that for now. Um, But yeah, so that's, that's the first bit. I think that's really important. The other thing I think that is really important to understand uh, from from a case manager's point of view is uh, this definition of pain really in terms of it is not just a structural thing that you're looking at, that pain perception is 
what is that person experiencing what is their awareness showing them and that comes from their childhood experiences there's a lot of data and that supports the adverse childhood experiences can contribute to a person's experience of pain it comes from what injuries they've had in the past and how those were managed and how those uh, then sort of how how their experience of pain was during that phase that contributes to what they're experiencing now and how they're going to manage it and how their mindset is so i i think the key thing for us is how can we change the the locus of control so to speak from external which means that the client is dependent on a physio or a doctor or an orthopedic consultant or someone outside so that's an external locus of control someone depending on someone outside to treat me right so mm-hmm. i need to have an injection i need to have medicine i need the physio to crack my spine do x y and z to me so that my pain will go away and move that from external locus of control to an internal locus of control which means my pain is my experience mm. and how yeah. can i modulate my experience so focus on self management strategies focus on developing skills that are that a person can practice themselves one of the biggest things that was an eye opener for me was our stress response which mm. is uh, which is basically Uh, whenever we are under stress our sympathetic nervous system is activated so our um, breathing is fast and our muscles are tight and our heart rate increases and our blood vessels are constricting uh, and we get that uh, um, biochemical response in the body where whereby you have the inflammatory markers and everything goes on the stress response is the same as the pain response so when we mm. experience pain and when we experience stress they are both the same they're interesting the So how do we counteract that and how we can counteract that is through the use of the relaxation response so when yes. we are relaxed our breathing is slowing slows down our heart rate slows down our blood vessels widen our muscles are relaxed and the mind is calmed and our parasympathetic nervous system is activated yes so how that's... can we promote that relaxation in our clients that's the big thing that is what mm. can repattern our brain that is what can take away that chronic pain over a period of time it is there's no magic wand that it will happen in one day but the big thing is that the relaxation response is the antidote to the pain response so yes. if they are experiencing the relaxation response they cannot experience the pain response at the same time so i think that's what we need to focus on as case managers is have a broader understanding of pain ourselves and give that to our clients make them appreciate uh, that pain is a lot more than just their knee so they don't need to focus on their knee or their ankle or all the time it is a lot more than that and then focus on uh, enhancing the relaxation response yeah and actually when i think about um how stressful life generally is for our clients that stress managing the stress actually is more than um i know it's kind of focusing a little bit more on the external locus of control idea but it it's about helping the environment be cal- as calming as it can be yeah. for them and you know you can span that all the way back to you know how you um go through all the processes that we need to in order to support our clients so you know recruitment that concept of safe recruitment takes on a different meaning suddenly for me because yeah. i think oh because i don't want to have someone who's not quite right if you don't anyway but 
actually it has a relevance to what my clients might experience when it comes to pain management. So I really don't want to get that wrong. I I want to make their environment as um, relaxed as possible. I want to, you know, have processes in place where um, the client is able to feel not distracted or enjoyment, because I think that's qualitatively different and psychologically they are different aspects of de-stressing because to relaxation. But I, you know, there is something about rest and reducing that sense of threat and how relaxation contributes to that, as you say, in terms of the parasympathetic response. And that is different to distraction or enjoyment, but it's widespread. It's, it's multi, you know, multifaceted. That's so true. I think the big, the big thing to realize is that stress and pain and the, con- the factors that contribute to it are so wider. It is the wider mm. socio economic, the financial implication for someone who's not been in work for that long and they're not getting any salary or whatever. And uh, they've broken up with their partner because they've, they're struggling with their mental health yes. with this injury. So pain is, yes, you, you might have got that person a bit of surgery and the surgeries fixed their ankle, but has it fixed all their life? There's so much else mm. going on in their life, which is then contributing to their pain experience yes. as well. And that is the kind of thing that I think we struggle at the moment to explain to our fund holders sometimes. And there are some who get it and they're really on board with it, the whole biopsychosocial mm. approach. Yes. Whilst others are so fixed on, I've got the fracture fixed. His, his consultant has said he's discharged. So why can't he go back to work? Well, he can't go back to work because he's still having pain. His mindset is not right. He is struggling with it because he's struggling financially to even go and buy basic groceries because he's not had any income for 18 months now. Uh, Mm -hmm. His partner's left him. He's nearly homeless. His car's broken down. He doesn't have the money to get his car fixed. All of those things contribute to the whole experience of that person. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, so much wisdom in what you're saying. And I think for me, it comes down to that idea of case conceptualization. What are we hanging the experience of our clients on? And I think that's, um, I mean, that's another episode for another time. But what is the foundation story? What is the narrative for this client? And what is it um, that then can help guide us to understanding pain, for example, trauma, for example, you know, um, the impact of relationship challenges, for example. And I just think it's, it's missing in case management and personal injury work personally, but there is, um, there's definitely something in it for me. But yeah, like I say, more on that another day. I mean, I, I've got this, I mean, I'm, I'm mindful of the time um, and I'm also mindful of this probably being a very good point to stop because I reckon you could go on and fill us with more <laughs> of your wisdom. But um, I, I think it's probably a good point to help to stop to allow people to di- kind of digest all of this rich information that you've shared with us. So thank you so much. Dr. Dev, if anyone wants to get hold of you, how can they do it? Tell us yeah. how to get hold of you. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. Just search my name, Devdeep Ahuja. Uh, you can get me there or you can email to me at Dev. That's Delta Echo Victor at RTW Plus. So I'm the clinical director of RTW Plus. So Dave at RTW So that's my email address. 
But yeah, please do feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk. As you can see, I, I can talk about <laughs> So yeah, happy to talk about pain anytime. No problem. Thank you. That's and, amazing. And thank you so much for having me on, on your podcast. It's, uh, it's amazing. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Brilliant. It's, I'll put all of those details on the show notes so people can get hold of you. But for now, um, thank you, Dr. Dev. And um, thank you all for listening in. Feel free to like, share and comment on this really interesting episode. And I will see you another time. Bye for now. Before you go, if you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 